the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. The concept of imputation simply means to credit to someone's account. It's really a, a banking term. It's also been known as a legal term. Therefore, what imputed righteousness means is that God credits the righteousness of Jesus Christ to those who trust him for salvation. Folks, that's really the heart of the gospel. We often emphasize, and well we should, the death of Christ paying for our sins. But that's only part of the gospel. That means that you're forgiven the moment you trust Christ for all that you've done. You still need the righteousness of God on your account or else you can't go to heaven. Even though when we trust Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are well and truly saved, we will never be truly righteous by God's perfect standards while still in these mortal bodies. That imputed righteousness covers and hides our sin nature and makes possible a relationship with the Lord God. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, he is leading us in a series of lessons about spiritual warfare. Pastor Steve has been serving at Lakeside for more than 26 years, and now his teaching ministry has expanded to also include these daily radio Bible classes. Ephesians chapter 6 is our base of operations as we continue to explore the meaning and application of the armor of God. In our last class, we began to examine the second piece of the armor in Paul's list, the breastplate of righteousness. We know now that the breastplate protects the soldier's vital organs, and that would be analogous to protecting our emotions. But what kind of righteousness is represented in this word picture? Let's listen now as Pastor Steve explores that question. But we have to make an interpretive decision at this point regarding the word righteousness. You see, the Bible refers to essentially three types of righteousness. And we have to know which one it is. Now, number one, one kind of righteousness that the Bible speaks of is self-righteousness, which is really not righteousness at all. It's just a label we give to that. In fact, ironically, self-righteousness is the most dangerous of all sins. It's not righteousness at all. It's wickedness. Self-righteousness is the most arrogant of beliefs that we are good people. We are good people and that our character and behavior are acceptable to God. And a person who believes that is lost. They, they've never come to Christ because the Bible clearly addresses self-righteousness and tells us that we're not righteous. If you don't think that you uh, are sinful, if you see yourself as righteous, you don't need a Savior. Why would you come to Christ to save you from your sin if you don't have any sin? And so the Bible is very clear on this. For example, Isaiah 64, 6, all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. If you think you're righteous, you're not. It's like a filthy, dirty rag. Matthew 5, 20, Jesus said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, and they were, they were outwardly righteous. They kept all the, the laws and more. 
Jesus said, unless your righteousness surpasses external duty, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. There must be internal righteousness, not just external. And then Romans 3.10, I don't know how the word of God could be more specific and direct. There is none righteous, not even one. Nobody's righteous. Self-righteousness is a wicked, wicked sin. Self-righteousness doesn't protect anyone from the devil. In fact, self-righteousness is what the devil uses to deceive us to hell. So he's certainly not talking about this. And I, and I might add at this point that though believers, to be a believer, you must denounce any self-righteousness. There are times where Christians, those who have come to faith in Christ, tend to fall into self-righteousness in their thinking. There are times if, if they believe, for example, that their own legalistic rules and accomplishments please God. They don't. They don't. We need to be careful about that. Now, obviously, Paul wasn't saying that self-righteousness protects us from the devil. On the contrary, those Christians who have self-righteous tendencies actually open themselves up to the devil because their self-righteousness stifles a healthy walk with Christ. You cannot be legalistic and, uh, and walk with the Lord. Why? Because if you're paying attention to the outward conformity alone, you're going to neglect your heart. The heart is the issue. The heart is the issue. So if you neglect your, your heart and internal attitudes and only concentrate on outward things and appearances, then, then you are not protected from the devil at all. So we eliminate this. We know that the breastplate of righteousness is not referring to our own righteousness because we have no righteousness. And there's not a competent Bible teacher who would interpret Paul as saying that the breastplate of righteousness is our own self-righteousness. However, the second type of righteousness is that the one that I'm going to mention to you is held by a number of esteemed Bible teachers as the uh, correct interpretation of what Paul is saying. And the second type of righteousness is imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness. That's a, that's a big theological concept, but it's really not difficult to grasp. The, the concept of imputation simply means to credit to someone's account. It's really a, a banking term. It's also been known as a legal term. Therefore, what imputed righteousness means is that God credits the righteousness of Jesus Christ to those who trust him for salvation. Folks, that's really the heart of the gospel. We often emphasize, and well we should, the death of Christ paying for our sins. But that's only part of the gospel. That means that you're, you're forgiven the moment you trust Christ for all that you've done. You still need the righteousness of God on your account or else you can't go to heaven because you'll sin again. You'll sin again. And forgiveness is one thing. It's all uh, tangled together and it's wonderful, but you need the righteousness. You need righteous standing and, and that's what the Bible teaches took place at our salvation. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is the key verse in the Bible about the righteousness of Christ being put on, on our account. It's exactly what Abraham experienced when the Bible says he believed the Lord and it was counted to him for righteousness. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him, meaning Christ, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In dying for us, Christ was credited with our sins, though he was personally sinless. In other words, God imputed our sins to Jesus. He put our sins on Christ's account. 
And the moment you trust Christ to save you, you are credited with his righteousness, though you are personally unrighteous. That's grace. He puts Christ's righteousness on your account, which is to say that God imputes the righteousness of Christ to us the moment we believe. That's the grace of God. That's the precious message of the gospel. This, as I said, it's a legal act, not something you personally feel when it happens to you. You probably don't even know at the time all that's going on. And this was the glorious truth that the Apostle Paul just rejoiced in. In Philippians chapter 3, I'd like you to see this because we're going to refer back to this again. But in Philippians chapter 3, Paul addresses the issue of self-righteousness. He was a self-righteous Pharisee. He was a man who thought that his good deeds could get him to heaven. He could keep the commandments until the Lord revealed to him how wicked of a sinner he was and that he needed Christ's righteousness. And so in telling the Philippians about this, he says in verse 3, for we, in contrast to false teachers who said they were, we are the true circumcision who worship God or worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and we put no confidence in the flesh although I myself have uh, might have confidence even in the flesh meaning that if anybody thinks they they could have confidence in the flesh let me tell you how confident I was all that I was compared to other people he says If anyone has a mind to put confidence in flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day. That was the right day to be circumcised for a Jewish male. Of the nation of Israel, the right nation. Of the tribe of Benjamin, the right tribe. Benjamin was an honored tribe. The first king of Israel, Saul, coming from Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee, meaning that he kept it meticulously. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Paul thought that was a good thing. As to the law... As to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless, meaning that there, were, there was no feast that Paul didn't keep. There's no sacrifice that Paul didn't uh, keep himself. There was nothing. He ate all kosher food. He did everything he was supposed to do by the book. So I was found blameless. But notice verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, all of these positive things which I put my confidence in, Those things I have counted now, he means, as loss for the sake of Christ. Those things had to go. Self-righteousness had to go. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. But Paul said, but I count them rubbish. They're garbage. They're trash. So that I may gain Christ. And watch this and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. It means I don't stand before him in self-righteousness now. I exchange that righteousness for something that works, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. It works because that's what God accepts. When accept our righteousness, we have none, but he does accept the righteousness of Christ. Folks, this is true of every believer in Jesus, without any exception. Imputed righteousness. It is the, the heart of the gospel. It is the, what we glory in. But I don't believe it's what Paul is referring to as far as the breastplate of righteousness. Now, I have to say, in all fairness, some very uh, excellent Bible teachers hold to this. But I'll tell you why I don't hold to it. And I'm sort of surprised that they do. It's because imputed righteousness is not something you take on and take off. 
It's not something you put on. Imputed righteousness is permanently fixed on us by God at the moment of salvation. But each piece of armor that Paul is writing about in Ephesians 6 is a spiritual reality that we can put on and we can put off. Otherwise, there's no point to the passage. If you got it, why does Paul have to tell us to take on the whole armor of God? You have imputed righteousness. You can't get rid of that. You never want to get rid of that. And there's no command in the Bible to put that on. You can't put it on. He puts it on us and you can't take it off. But that misses the point of Ephesians 6, which is all about God providing it, but us doing something to put it on. So I say that that, that is not what Paul is referring to. I would, might also add, imputed righteousness only protects us from hell and Satan's condemning accusations, but it really doesn't protect us from Satan's attacks on our feelings and affections, and that's the issue. So what kind of righteousness protects our hearts and our emotions? Well, there's only one kind left, and, uh, and that is practical righteousness, personal obedience to the Word of God. In other words, a life of daily holiness, that's what protects us from Satan's attempts to draw away our affection from the Lord. And and I might add that this is how Paul used the term breastplate and armor in other places in Scripture. For example, in Romans 13, 12, he said, the night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. The the righteousness is contrasted with the deeds of darkness. Deeds of darkness would be evil behavior. The armor of light is righteous behavior. Just another way of saying the breastplate of righteousness. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 is even more specific. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on, he writes, the breastplate of faith And love, there he gets specific about righteous deeds, about godly behavior of faith and love. Now, even though practical righteousness is something we do, don't think that there's a contradiction. It's not the same thing as self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is unacceptable because we have none. But practical righteousness is different. I'll tell you why. The difference between self-righteousness and practical righteousness is that that self-righteousness tends to originate with us, which means that there's no righteousness at all. But practical righteousness does not originate with us. It's not our righteousness at all. You see, God's Spirit works in every Christian producing Christ's righteous character in us. He is constantly conforming us to the image of His Son. In fact, I'll just paraphrase 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul says that as you gaze upon the Lord Jesus on the pages of Scripture... The Spirit of God is changing you into His image. As you spend time reading His Word and obeying Him, you'll be more like Him. Romans chapter 6.13 says that we are to present the the instruments of our body as instruments of righteousness. The various parts of our body as instruments of righteousness. This is the process known as sanctification. It is a daily, moment-by-moment, progressive experience. But it is not our righteousness. It's Christ's character in us being produced. Another way of putting it is called spiritual growth. That's all this is. The moment you received Christ, you received a new nature. The Bible calls it a divine nature. And that divine nature enables you to present yourself to the Lord in humility and to grow in godliness. And the Holy Spirit is given to empower us to live righteously according to the word of God. You and I don't have that in, uh, in and of ourselves. 
We have a transformed heart. That's regeneration. And we have the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we are to consciously and continuously live by the righteous standards of God's word. And that was precisely Paul's experience. Let's go back to Philippians 3 again. I want to show you this. This is important. Paul, having just spent quite a few verses in Philippians 3, exalting the the, the glorious truth of imputed righteousness, now in verse 12 speaks about practical righteousness. It, It kind of goes together, though it is distinct. Verse 12, Paul says this. Remember, he's just said, I now have a different kind of righteousness But he says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. Paul says, I I haven't haven't obtained perfect sanctification, perfect righteousness, but I press on. See, it's progressive. That I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Why did God lay hold of Paul? Why did he lay hold of you? To make you more like him. Not just to save you, but to conform you to his image. Brethren, he writes, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Isn't that great? It's really really what what Larry was singing about before. Don't, Don't let the fact that you're not perfect hinder you from pressing on. Paul had a lot in his in his past. He killed people. He murdered Christians. He hated Jesus. Paul says, I forget those things that are behind. Just like you have to forget that. And he said, I'm, and I'm reaching forward to that which lies ahead, like a runner at the, at the end of a, of a sprint, crossing the finish line with chest out, making sure that, the, uh, that, that that part of you that can cross the finish line first gets there before anybody else. Paul says, that's what I do. I reach forward. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now he's just talked about imputed righteousness, but now he refers to practical righteousness of daily obedience. I keep pressing on. See, while imputed righteousness and practical righteousness are very different, there is an important relationship between the two. Here's how one theologian put it, and and I'm going to tell you why this is extremely critical to understand. He writes, imputed righteousness makes practical righteousness possible. But only obedience to the Lord makes practical righteousness a reality. In other words, only those who have imputed righteousness, only those people have been inwardly transformed and are able to live out the righteous truths of Scripture from the heart. Unbelievers can't do that. They can't do that. Now, why do I say this is a critical truth? I'll I'll tell you why. This is more uh, practical than you might think at first. There have been many Christians throughout church history, and especially in our day and age, and, and, and even in the, the uh, in fact, especially in the theological circles we might move, who have embraced the view that it really doesn't matter what, uh, in what way we live. It's really not that important. And they would say, because we've already been forgiven, we are eternally secure, our salvation is, is forever, and we have Christ's imputed righteousness to us. So therefore, they would say obedience is an option. It's not a requirement. It's an option. But anyone, anyone who has that attitude is just setting themselves up to be shot down by Satan. That, that is opening yourself up to all kinds of attacks. That kind of attitude, which views submission to Christ's lordship as a preference rather than a biblical mandate, leads to spiritual carelessness. 
those who are not diligent to discipline themselves for the practice of godliness, which which is precisely what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.17, discipline yourself for for the purpose of godliness. If you're not going to do that, you will fall spiritually. I remember years ago talking to a young man who wanted to debate with me the importance of Christ's lordship. And he was saying, you know, all, essentially he was saying, all you have to do is come to Jesus, believe that he died for your sins, and it really, if you want to obey him as Lord, fine. If not, it's okay. And, and I, I tried to persuade him as best I could that that was wrong and that was unbiblical. And, you know, I was so saddened to find out that this, this young man had fallen away. I've lost track of him. He used to go here for a little while, and he's, he's gone and spiritually just went off the deep end. And it only makes sense. If you get sloppy in your Christian walk, Satan sees an opening there. Listen, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. If you've never read Kent Hughes' book, The Disciplines of a Godly Man, you would be well spent to to use your money to purchase that book. Even even if you're not a man, a woman would benefit from that. It's just it, now he does emphasize manly issues, but he's he's talking about discipline. Nothing ever great was accomplished without discipline. And that's not legalism. Legalism is you do these things to make yourself look good. Discipline is you do these things for God's glory to make him look good and to be pleasing to him. Discipline is what's necessary. And the imagery that Paul is talking about in 1 Timothy 4, 7 is the imagery of an athlete who trains. I've been reading about those who are training track and field and they are working now. They have been working for years. I read yesterday about a man from Ethiopia who said, this is so important, I'm getting older, but this is the highlight of a life. The Olympics only comes around once in four years and I am training differently and I have to compensate for getting a little older. And and Listen, that's how an athlete approaches it. We are to have the same kind of discipline for godliness. That's what Paul is saying. No one ever grew spiritually just because they had intentions to grow. You got to be disciplined. You get sloppy, there's an opening for Satan to lure your heart away from Christ. And before you know it, you're out of fellowship with the Lord because you're following after your own desires. See, holy living is the greatest defense you have against Satan's offense. Holy living. It was that great Scottish man of God, Robert Murray McShane, who once said, a holy man is an awesome weapon in the hands of God. What a great statement. Put aside all the techniques, all the methodologies, all the seeker-sensitive stuff that people run to. That's not going to help you in the thick of the battle. Holiness is. You know, the message could almost end right there with that warning. But there is still much more we can learn about the breastplate of righteousness. But our time is running short, so we will have to continue the lesson next time we get together. It has been a joy to have you with us today. Verse by Verse is a daily Bible class of the air led by pastor-teacher Steve Kreloff. Since 1981, Pastor Steve has been serving at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. His expository teaching makes the transition from pulpit to radio through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners who we hope are first faithful to their own churches. If you would like to hear today's lesson again, it is available at our website, versebyverseradio.org. 
If you browse on over to the archives page, you will also find many of Pastor Steve's previous lessons. You might want to tell your friends about the archives in case they want to hear this whole series on spiritual warfare right from the beginning. If you haven't already done so, we would like to invite you to sign up for our free podcasting service or our complimentary newsletter. Once again, you will find all of this at versebyverseradio.org. Our lesson for today was the middle part of a three-part message. To hear it all at once, please call us and order a CD or cassette. The phone number is 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number and we will call you back during weekday office hours. The number again is 727-441-1714. Now that we know what kind of righteousness Paul meant when he wrote about the breastplate of righteousness, how do we cultivate holy living in our own lives? How do we put on that righteousness? That is really where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? When we meet again, Pastor Steve will have some great practical truths right from the Bible. They will transform our lives if we embrace them and live by them. I hope you can join us for the application part of this very important lesson. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse. We're here to give you strength between. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.